Hey, listeners, you know that feeling you get when you discover something amazing and all you want to do is tell everybody that you know about it? Well, that's exactly how I feel about Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed super easy and super fun. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you get to build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, they're unique, and they're recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. Those styles show up to you in as little as two days. And then when you're ready for some new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. And that's exactly what I did a couple of months ago when Andy and I took a trip to Hawaii. And of course, I wanted to have some fun, beachy, cute clothes. Armoire was perfect for that. I got the most amazing outfits that I got so many compliments on. And the best part was that when we got home, all I had to do was ship those items back and they didn't have to take up space in my closet unused for a year. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash PCPS. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash PCPS to get up to 50% off your first month. And you'll never have to worry about what to wear again. So try armoire today. Hey everybody, a quick message. Today's episode is brought to you by Book of the Month, a monthly book subscription box that helps readers discover new books from up-and-coming authors. The process of choosing your book is so easy and fun. Besides the website and app being really easy to navigate, the smaller but varied monthly selection, which always includes an anticipated new release, by the way, means I'm not overwhelmed with too many choices and it's truly easy to make a decision. And let's be real, we're all about simplicity right now, aren't we? Oh, Mm -hmm. definitely. (laughs) So you guys, I was thrilled when I saw that this month's selections included a book I have been anticipating for over a year. I chose The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren. It is rom-com at its finest. Think Pretty Woman meets Succession. I chose Spitting Gold by Carmela Locus about two shady spirit mediums in 19th century Paris. I mean, come on. You had me at shady spirit mediums, right? (laughs) This is a brand new hardcover book, and I'm getting it for less than I could get it anywhere else. And great news. You can get your first book for only $5 using the code PEDALS when you order at bookofthemonth.com. That's P-E-T-A-L-S. You guys, we love Book of the Month, and we know you will, too. Are you wondering how the PCPS stays afloat? I'll tell you. The answer is with contributions from listeners like you. We depend on your support to pay for recording services, audio software, transcription fees, website hosting, and the hours and hours of research, writing, editing, and engineering that go into producing each show. If you'd like to help us keep doing this job that we love, you can join our crew of supporters over on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com and put Pop Culture Preservation Society in the search bubble, and they'll tell you what to do. You can choose the level of support that's right for you, from our superstar level at $5 a month all the way up to our bicentennial level. Yes, you guessed it, at $19.76 a month. In exchange, we'll send you even more PCPS content after the episode conversations, video clips, and even invitations to live virtual events with your hosts. Your support is our accounts payable department, doing all the heavy lifting so we can keep our jobs. We love you guys. Thanks for being here today, and enjoy the show.
Last week, we recorded an episode discussing a very important topic to we Gen Xers, the stunning and sometimes controversial transformation of Rydell High's Sandy Olson from our generation's most beloved movie, Grease. It was an extremely personal conversation because our feelings about Sandy have an awful lot to do with our feelings about ourselves. Little did we know that in just five days' time, Olivia Newton-John, our Sandy, would be gone. And although it's always sad when our heroes die, this one came as a shock. Because I guess we thought Sandy would never die. And I think she meant a lot more to us than we knew. I think I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it wasn't just her songs or her characters, especially the iconic character that we all associated her with. I realized the other day that it was really who Olivia Newton-John was and represented to us. Um, to me, she, you know, I think she represented wholesomeness regardless of the tight black pants. Um, but she represented kindness and goodness. And I wrote some words down, just grace and light and warmth. Um, I think she had a lot of Sandy in her though. I think both Sandys. Um, I mean, you felt good just looking at her. Right. And I think for our generation, in a time when many of the singers and actresses we were emulating weren't so wholesome, kind, or good, Olivia Newton-John was just that much more important to us. She exuded benevolence. Oh, that's a great way to say that. Don't you I think? I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So let me share with you guys where I was when I got the news. I was actually folding laundry, and Grace came in and told me. She said, Aww. Mom, I think you want need to know this. And she shared with me that Olivia Newton-John had died. And honestly, I didn't believe her. I just said, are you sure? Are you Have you read it correctly? And she said, yes, Mom. And she was showing me the tweet or the post. And right then, my phone rang. And it was my sister. Aww. And Olivia Newton-John was a huge part of our family's life. And I'll share that in a little bit. But I just picked it up and she just started singing the lyrics of our favorite song, which is not one that is popular and that was on the radio, but it's one that we remember. And like um, Michelle has done, we choreographed a song to it (laughs) and were performing in front of my parents. Um, So it was was a gut punch. It literally felt like the wind had been knocked out Mm -hmm. of me when – when I got the news, you I felt was like you lost a friend. Yes. You know, kind of, right? I feel like she felt like that. She felt so familiar, maybe that's the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was um, amazed just after it all set in and going on social media, the scope and number yeah. of people who posted about her, just like the celebrities. I mean, you had everybody from our beloved Sean Cassidy to Barry Gibb to Donny Osmond, mm-hmm. to Katie Couric, to the bionic woman. Lindsay Wagner had a photo posted with her. that, And it was just like she touched so many people's lives mm-hmm. across the, you know, across the gamut, not just us as regular people, but all of these celebrities who were touched by her. There was a level of shock that I felt that I have not felt with other deaths, no matter how mm-hmm. sad or no matter how important they were. And it's almost... And I've questioned myself about that. Why were you in such shock? You knew she was sick. She had been battling this cancer for so long. 
Why are you in shock? And it turned out I wasn't the only one to feel that way. The first person I heard from was my friend Colleen. And what can you text to each other in that moment? Basically, you just text bubbles back and forth that say nothing because you're in shock. And she felt the same way, too. It was almost as if she was preserved in amber. Yeah. Yeah. Amber's right? good. Yeah. Because of the light and the warmth and the. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. That's a great. And so many people felt that way, like in disbelief, despite the fact that we had this monster that was chasing her. We right. still were in disbelief. And I was in the car when I heard it. And the radio disc jockeys, they were they were joking around as disc jockeys are wont to do. And then one of them said, but it's time to get serious now. And everything got very, very quiet. And then she said the words, Olivia Newton-John. And I just went, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I heard from Carolyn. Carolyn, you were the one that told me. Carolyn texted in our um, group chat. And listeners... We um, we know that you all felt it, too, because we have gotten so many DMs and so many lovely just words from you all about how much she meant to you, um, just coming from everyone, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, Carolyn, when I saw that in our little group message, I immediately said, I all caps, no, like, no, like, I was like, no, no, like, I'm putting an X up over my face. Like, don't, I refuse to accept this news. And I think, I think one of the things you just said, Kristen, is we knew she had this, you know, this monster chasing her for decades, right? Mm -hmm. We all knew that Olivia Newton-John had breast cancer for decades. I mean, gosh, remember when she first announced it when she was so young, Mm -hmm. like 40 or something. Mm -hmm. But you know what? All the past maybe decade or more when you see how lovely she is. And one of the things I will say, (laughs) side note, but, um, I've always appreciated about her is that she aged. She let herself yeah. age. She mm-hmm. was gorgeous, but she had the wrinkles on her neck and around her eyes and over her forehead and but still looked beautiful and youthful because I think she just was so full of goodness. Well, she exuded youth too. She totally did. You can but- exude youth and have wrinkles. Like they're not mutually <laughs> exclusive. Right. I hope goodness so. Goodness knows but I think we I- exude youth. I think yeah. so. I'd like to think so. And we have wrinkles. We 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 have a little bit of O and J in us. Um, mm-hmm. But yes. what I was going to say about that is, I'm going. I mean, almost embarrassed to admit, I had forgotten about her cancer. I think because looking at her over the past, you know, right. recently, the most recent photos, which I don't know, they could have be five years old, they could be six mm-hmm. years old. She just. Lo- she doesn't look sick. She doesn't look. She looks. She looks so. She healthy. looks in control of her life, and I think she yeah. was, and I think that's how she wanted and chose chose to live her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one reason I think a lot of us were all so shocked and forgot, maybe, that she right. had We chose cancer. to forget. Mm-hmm. We chose to forget. We chose to, to just ignore this fact that was right in front of us, which just kind of, so that's why we were all punched in the face. Right. I felt punched in the face. Yeah. I was doubled over. Honestly, mm-hmm. it was a, um, a physical, response for sure. And um, again, we aren't the only ones who had these responses to her death. I wanted to share a couple of um, pieces that I came across. One, um, a post on Instagram by the author and activist Tyler Merritt. Um, And he so succinctly put into words some of the feelings that um, I had, and I know a lot of us did. Um, He said, on every level, Olivia was a superstar, on screen, on the microphone, in print, even when she danced. 
She was an effortless triple threat before I even knew what a triple threat was. Was she my first ever crush? Honestly, I don't know. But real talk, I don't remember a girl before Olivia Newton-John. Damn, I think she was the one who started started all girls for me. Yep, Olivia Newton-John was it. And many times I wondered, what is she doing now? Come to find out she was out there absolutely living her life to the fullest. She lived well and brilliantly, and I'm kind of honored that she was my first ever crush. I'd say I chose well. And he yeah. ended it with um, just saying, here's to someone's first crush and then living a life that justifies all of that ridiculous puppy love. And okay, speaking of it. like puppy love, she was, he is not alone no, in, right. in having her as his first crush. And one of the most famous is Donny Osmond. <laughs> and he has given interviews about a segment that he recorded with her, I assume for the Donnie and Marie show, where he's singing You're the One That I Want with her. He posted it this week. Did he post it's it? It's hilarious and to watch Donny just... Osmond singing those words. Yeah. <laughs> and he explains in the interview that he was beside himself to be singing this with her, touching her. He talks about, and he's a grown man saying this. He's like, I'm touching her waist. I'm touching her skin. And I cannot believe this is the woman I've loved for so Aww. long. Actually, timing wise, I'm pretty sure he was married too. Oh, yeah. And right. he couldn't believe it because he had loved her for so long. And I think... That was the case for so many Mm -hmm. little boys in Mm -hmm. the 1970s. Some of our listeners, too, because Mm -hmm. those of you who out there who have sent us your DMs or we've seen your comments saying that she was your first crush, we've seen them, we've read them, and our hearts are breaking for you, too. And I think it was um, even a little bit deeper than it just being Olivia Newton-John. One of our PCPS listeners, Jeremy Helliger, who also happens to be the executive editor at People Magazine, wrote a piece, and I will put um, a link to this in the show notes, called Goodbye, Olivia, Goodbye, Youth. And he sent that to us. And um, here's one of the things that he wrote. He said, Olivia represents a different kind of celebrity loss. She is the first icon from my childhood that I can remember loving for her talent, beauty, and youth, who I got to watch grow older and live to a relatively ripe age. When she left, she took a piece of my youth with her. I can't remember a time in my life when Olivia Newton-John wasn't part of it. Sorry, Mm. that just summed up so much for how I was feeling because she was a huge part, again, like I said, about growing up in my family. And yeah, it's like this kind of letting go or just taking this little piece of who we were with her and just kind of realizing our mortality at the same time. That's so true. Well, and I think that I this is something that I've landed upon when I'm examining my own feelings and I'm examining the feelings of the people in front of me when we're like, why are we so, why do we feel this inside of our bodies like this? And I think it's because so many of us literally became Sandy. We (laughs) went home after school and we play acted Sandy. We, so for a time, we embodied Olivia Newton-John. I want to say literally, but it's a quasi literally, (laughs) right? Like we became her for you know, a, a year of our life, two years of our lives, whatever it is, we put on the face, we put on the hair, we pretended to be her, we sang her words, we walked in her shoes, we did her choreography. Every day after school, we became Olivia Newton John. 
as you'll hear coming up, I mean, for me, Sandy was it. I instantly identified with that new girl uncomfortableness and the struggle with having that stigma. But, you know, I loved Sandy. I loved all of Sandy. Um, I was enraptured by her, I think. But also, it's, it's, it's just everything she represented. And you guys... We should all be so lucky when we die to have as many lovely things said about us as are being said about Olivia Newton-John. What a testament to the way she lived her life, the way she was as a mother, as a wife. And I can only imagine the great comfort that is bringing her family because they knew that Mm -hmm. being, you know, being her family, but now realizing that everybody else saw that too has to be so comforting to them right now. So um, that's got to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, I um I brought this up in our Barry Manilow episode. Um this is this is where where Olivia Newton-John seeps into your pores, right? My mom was very busy. She was in school. Later she was teaching school. She had two small children and the only time she had to practice her piano was after we kids were in bed. So we got a concert every night. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, hold on. So we got a concert every night from our beds. And one of those songs that she practiced at night was Have You Never Been Mellow? And I know that song. I hear it. It's a song that, for me, was something I would hear in the dark, in the quiet, by myself when I was drifting off to sleep. I know it by heart, with all the mistakes that my mom would make (laughs) on the piano. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh And later... um, I would go to a John Denver concert. Years and years later, I went with my roommate. Hello, Martha. And my mom. We took my mom. And for my mom, this was like a rock concert, right? Going to see John Denver. This was crazy. (laughs) Didn't she have a crush on him, too? Oh, yeah. She had a crush on John Denver, (laughs) yes. So this was a big deal. And when he introduced the song, Fly Away, he explained that Olivia Newton-John famously sang backup on that song. And he said, Olivia's not here tonight, so I need you the audience to be Olivia Newton-John for me. And the whole audience, we sang as one. It sounded like one voice. We knew that part so well. And for just one moment, again, we were Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> Life in the city can make you crazy The sounds of the sand and the sea I love the sea Life in the just what an impact she had on my family in terms of memories and parts of um, my growing up. Um, I loved every iteration of Living in John from <laughs> Greece to the Muse and Xanadu to her aerobic dancing and the physical video. <laughs> but I've got to say it is the early seventies Olivia <laughs> Newton John that holds a special place in my heart. I'm going to try not to cry, but my family loved her. We owned all of those early albums, and my dad would play them over and over again on the stereo. I mean, I could sing every word of every song. I'm holding up two albums. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that one. If You Love Me, Let Me Know album, Mm -hmm. and um, of course, Have You Never Been Mellow. And I've been listening to those again ever since we got this tragic news, and 
you guys, when I say I knew every word to every song, I'm talking like on this on side two song, you know, four, yeah. um, which happens to be on side <laughs> two. Um, oh, actually, song one is called The River's Too Wide. I don't know that anyone would know that because it never made it on the radio. But that is the song that my sister and I started singing yesterday when she called. It is the song that it was such a it's a happy song. There's clapping in it. My mom was happy and clapped along to it. <laughs> the river's too wide now for crossing. The waters rush too loud for talking. We never build bridges for walking. There's no getting to the other side. We loved her. Olivia Newton-John is part of probably one of my all-time five top family memories. On February 29th, 1976, my mom, my dad, my sister, and I headed to the Houston Astrodome to see Olivia Newton-John perform at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. I remember my whole family singing along. Lillian, Lillian is singing along. This is big. (laughs) To every song. And kind of like you, Kristen, I remember it was probably my first memory of being in this collective environment and everybody there was so happy. The Houston Astrodome was filled with happy people and I was a part of it. It was electric and it, um, while I say my first concert was Jim Neighbors also at the Houston Livestock <laughs> That's Radio. correct. I do not have a memory of that concert. I do, however, have a memory yeah. of this concert. So I do consider this my very first concert. Uh, you know what? That was so huge to you. You um, in our day of the life of a, a seven, 1970s oh, right. fifth grader. That was your mm-hmm. day. Yes, it was. It was a day. And I think we made it a day. And there wasn't a lot of things that, you know, we'd sometimes all do as a family either. Um, you know, my mom would usually take us to the movies and we've talked about all that, all that. But this was that collective, not just our family, but then this bigger whole. <laughs> and honestly, there's nothing like that feeling when you're in an environment with so many other people and you're all happy and joyful. Yes. And she brought that out in people. And mm-hmm. I'm just, um, so, so glad that I have that memory. And I have it shared with my sister that we can always go back to that touchstone and remember just all of us being so happy. So that's um, why she holds such a special place in my heart. I'm just going to cry the whole episode. (laughs) I know. I know. And um, one of the other things that um, Jeremy wrote that I thought was really pertinent, he said he equated Olivia Newton-John and her stardom in the 70s and 80s to Adele and Taylor Swift now. Like, that yeah. was the impact she had on yeah. um, on our culture, on everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was um, a great way to describe her um, – what she was and her presence. Well, it's a compliment to Adele and Taylor Swift no and Beyonce kidding. is what right. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I just wanted um, I wanted to share this really fun memory that one of our um, listeners uh, DM'd us about today. So this is our follower, Susan Jackson, and she was talking about how she's gone back in time and remembering things about Olivia Newton-John. And one of those was that she remembered that Have You Never Been Mellow was probably the first song that she ever learned by heart and knew every single word to sang it nonstop. Oh, she even got on her dad's CB radio and performed it in its entirety. And her brother <laughs> heard her it. on his CB radio and came in and hit me for it. Is what she said. <laughs> okay, that is adorable. 
and that's Isn't the song that's so now sweet. when it because of course I'm I am just like mainlining Olivia Newton John every time I oh, yes. I get in the car every time I'm outside and in the house I'm only listening to Olivia Newton John I can't seem to listen to anything else and it's funny when Have You Never Been Mellow comes on I always start to cry I think that might be the crying song from now on um, but just like you guys. These songs will come on and I know every single word. And sometimes, you guys, a song will come on that I don't know. And I know the words. <laughs> I know the words. Wow. It's so bizarre. And I can't stop listening to Xanadu. And I'm having, I can't stop like over and I'm watching the video. I'm, I'm like a crazy person. I'm having roller skating fantasies again. I'm like <laughs> listening to Xanadu and I'm just picturing myself knowing how to do crossovers. I'm going backwards <laughs> and I can't do any of those things. But I'm a 54 year old woman having a fantasy about skating backwards. <laughs> and that is because of Olivia Newton-John. And I just think this is what came to me because I can't stop listening to Xanadu. What kind of person are you if you are beloved for what is considered to be one of the worst movies right. in history? <laughs> Correct. Right. Yes. right. It was a horrible movie. Mm-hmm. And people love her for it, not mm-hmm. in spite of it, for it. As if her presence there was beloved, despite the fact that what was going on around her wasn't right. that great. I think that's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. But of course, the number one reason that we Gen Xers remember ONJ so fondly is Sandy. Olivia Newton-John gave us probably our most enduring character, whether you saw it nine times in the theater or you just watched it repeatedly on VHS at every slumber party of your youth. You looked at Sandy, both Sandys, and you turned the mirror on yourself and you started to think about what you wanted for yourself. And I think that's a great place to stop and let you enjoy this episode that we never intended to be a tribute. And yet, here we are. In loving memory of Olivia Newton-John, please enjoy this very special episode of the Pop Culture Preservation Society, Olivia Newton-John and the Great Grease Debate. I love you. I honestly love you. Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who drank their water out of drinking fountains or hoses, not bottles. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the growing and ever-changing theories about Gen X's favorite movie, Grease, including the one spawned by the modern-day internet. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. (laughs) 
If you could ever name a movie that is the favorite of an entire generation, it would probably be Grease. We know it by heart. We can sing all the songs. There's no need to recap it here because you all know it so intimately. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know that Grease holds my record for the movie that I saw the most number of times in the theater, which was nine. That is still my record today. I saw Grease in the theater nine times. But our childhood experience of watching it can be different from watching it through adult eyes. Because although this movie was beloved by children, this was made for adults, much like American Graffiti was. I'm going to say that almost all of it went over my head, to be (laughs) honest with you. Because I decided in preparation for this episode to go back and watch Grease um, in the last couple of days, which I did. And oh my gosh, let's just say... The entire movie is about sex. I mean, there Mm -hmm. is very little that's not referring to it in one way or the other. And what's interesting is I think even as an adult, I was still 12-year-old Carolyn watching it. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. never watching it through 40-year-old or 30-year-old Carolyn's eyes. It was always going back to that moment of watching it as a kid. Mm -hmm. So, again, I think a lot of that still went over my head because – as I was watching it, I was just singing and I was not really <laughs> reading between the lines. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of it went over my head. I think I got a lot of it, even at age nine. Like you I did? got a lot of the, yeah, the looking up your skirt, the, the, just all the banter back and forth right away between Rizzo and Kanicki. And I remember getting it, but I don't remember it bothering me. Like I remember just sort of feeling like, oh, that's what high school, oh, like kind of scared, like, oh, that's what high school kids do. But it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was, I was scared by the movie or I felt like I shouldn't watch it. Um, I know for sure that a lot of the lyrics of the songs went over my head. Like I Mm -hmm. happily sang, tell me more, tell me more. Did she put up a fight? But I, Mm -hmm. but I, like, Mm -hmm. like, was it rape? Was it fun rape? I don't know. That didn't even, that wasn't even, I wasn't registering that. Um, And and Greased Lightning. I knew a lot of those lyrics were like, you know, the chicks cream, um, like, uh, that I might not have really known what that meant. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I knew what that meant. I probably thought I it was like, you know, was like they- ice cream or like, you know, uh, puff pastry. <laughs> I don't Did know. you know that's what they were saying though? Oh um, yeah. Cause I had cream. the lyrics on my I album. Always said, yeah, I guess I must not have looked at the lyrics on my album. Cause I would always say the chicks will scream. Oh, and so yeah. that makes that sense. That was always uh-huh. in my yeah. head. So yeah. um, the cream part, that didn't, to be And honest, I remember come- my friends like talking about Grease Lightning. Can you believe it? And I would just go, no, not having any idea what they No, were I don't, I didn't to. get that line, but no like, idea. we'll be getting lots of tit. That one I understood. And oh, that, that was really embarrassing. Yeah. And then when yeah. they yell, a real pussy wagon, like that, mm-hmm. yes. I would never, I would like just mouth it. Like I can remember not, like, cause when I would, you know, perform this for, you know, my audience of my Mm -hmm. stuffed animals and just me, my reflection in the mirror, I would, um, I would also be all the T-Birds singing Grease Lightning. Like I wasn't just Sandy. Oh gosh, I'm doing my fingers. Oh yeah, I'm doing doing the the dance right now. Mm -hmm. I, I know that I wouldn't say a lot of that stuff. Like the real pussy wagon, I think I would just mouth it because I was, I still was good Sandy. I just Um, thought it was like a pussy willow wagon. I I probably did too. Or the line cat wagon. The line right before it is, I can get off my rocks. And I don't, I know I didn't know <laughs> I, that. I, meant that. I didn't know that till this minute, <laughs> Carolyn. I'm, I was about to say, I'm not what? sure about that one. 
I was going to say Rizzo's pregnancy, um, that did not go over my head. Like I knew what was going on. I thought it was shocking, but I never, ever believed it for a sec. Like I never believed Rizzo was a high school girl for a second because she always looked like a grown ass woman to me. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. like that never really bothered me. I was just like, whatever. She's like actually a woman. So she's, you know. Did you get the skip to period, the broken typewriter? I don't know about you the broken did? typewriter. What's the broken typewriter? Skipped a period, sure. But she was referring to Rizzo as a broken typewriter because she skipped a period. Oh, and but I <laughs> yeah, didn't no, know I why didn't they that. had to talk about that at the drive-in. What that meant, and then <sighs> bun in the oven. I remember I was seeing it with my cool aunt. It was probably like the seventh time I saw it or something like that, and and she. I don't know if I asked her what bun in the oven was, but she told me it means she's pregnant. And that I had seen it many times and I had no idea that this was a pregnancy scare until she told me what bun in the oven was. And then that helped me understand the whole ending of the movie when she said, it's a false alarm. I was like, I don't know why. Why are they they excited about? I don't know what they're excited about. You know, I think a lot of it, too, had to be what age we were when we saw it, because I Mm -hmm. was 12 going on 13. So I kind of understood a little more like the missed period versus you were 10, right? Yeah, I was 10. Um, Mm -hmm. So that there's that's a huge difference in terms of age, although part Part of me probably was a 10-year-old in terms of how much of this did go over my head. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I was thinking, because my sister saw it with me, and so that would have been, if I was 12, she was just like eight. So she saw this between eight and nine, um, mm-hmm. well, Michelle's age at, at the movie theater, which I'm sure all of it went over her head, but... I think the age part had something to do with it. Yeah, oh. definitely it did. And and if you were 10 years old, maybe you knew what periods were, but you didn't know that skipping a period meant anything. Right, right. Yeah. So I had no idea. And I wonder about, we've talked before about our parents and, you know, if there was so much sexual innuendo in this movie, why did they, why did they let us see it? Or do you have any questions? And I've mentioned this before. I brought my parents to see this movie after, that might have been my ninth time. Like I'd seen it eight times and I finally got my parents to see it. And I thought they would really enjoy it because this would be mirroring their experience in high school. And they did. They loved it. And they had no concerns. They didn't ask me about anything. They just thought it was a trip, which is not. And again, my parents are goody two shoes. So you would think this would cause them some concern. No, not a bit. So I want to share a little bit about the lyrics from Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. Mm-hmm. that um, really struck me because, um, you know, the line, uh, Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. And you could tell while Stalker Channing is singing that, that this is kind of, um, she's being made fun of, Sandy's being made fun of. But at the same time, I'm thinking, that's kind of who I am. And um, that's definitely playing in my head. And um, of course, the nostalgia of this song. So my parents, you know, they were letting, they were singing right along with me. And my mom would tell me who Troy Donahue was. Mm And then there's the um, there's the last line at the end where um, or one of the last lines where she says, um, "Hey, Fangul." Hey, Fangul. I'm Sandy. Sandy comes out and then says, "Hey, are you making fun of me?" And I was like, "Fangul is that another name for Elvis? Like, what does this mean?" And I remember mm-hmm. my dad telling me, "Like, well, that's kind of Italian slang for well, he probably said get out of here or whatever." Yeah. which I've come to learn <laughs> is like fuck you or go fuck yourself yeah. is kind of what mm-hmm. it means. Um, 
And so they had to know a little bit about this, but that was a great example of how they just kind of glossed over it. And it was just like, you know, get yeah. out of here. And I think the same cool aunt told me about fungul. Like, that means fuck you. Because my parents would never have said the word fuck. They never right. would have said that. This song, um, this I think this is so interesting. And this is such a good representation of this entire movie for me. So um, this song in the entire soundtrack was my number one favorite song. It was my favorite song to sing. It was my, fa- I thought the lyrics were so funny and clever. And, but what's interesting is there's such a juxtaposition with this whole movie and especially this song. And then me, who I was at nine years old, um, at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, watching it all the way to now. And, you know, like I've, um, longtime listeners know that I've always said that I'm good, Sandy, right? Like I'm the good girl. I was the rule follower. I hate conflict. I, I'd never wanted to rock the boat. Um, I could go on and on, but <laughs> I have therapy tomorrow, so it's fine. I'll save it. But, um, <laughs> save it for therapy. I'll save it. Yeah. I'll save it for my therapist. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me, um, um, when preparing for this, podcast episode that I've never, ever thought of before is that like that song and those lyrics, um, you know, lousy with virginity, they're making fun of her. And like Carolyn, Mm -hmm. you said, you kind of, it entered your mind like, well, that's kind of who I am right now. But yet at the same time, this whole movie and this song in particular didn't like, didn't make me feel, um, bad about myself, but what it is, is it's like, and, 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 and in just a little bit, I will tell you about some other revelations I had when really thinking as an age 53-year-old woman now and now really embracing my good Sandy and I'm not embarrassed by my good Sandy anymore and I don't feel ashamed like I felt like I was made to feel a lot about my good Sandy. Um, It's just really interesting to me that this movie was so important to me and I loved it so, so much when really, if you think about it, good Sandy is being made fun of a lot and she's very out of mm-hmm. place. I identified with her so much, but what what is it, you guys, about this movie that didn't that I didn't hate it? Because, you know, I, I mean, logic says I hated this movie. That was my mm-hmm. favorite song. Um, I don't, and I can't explain it. I don't know if it's just the magic of the movie, but there, there you that, go. <laughs> that leads into one yeah. of the one of the biggest um, juxtapositions of the movie, I think, which is that even if you were the good girl in your heart, when we were little, we were so excited for Sandy to turn naughty. Mm-hmm. We loved Carnival Sandy, and I did oh, not. Michelle's shaking her head. I am shaking. Keep going, okay. but oh no, because but if when you but you still are feeling you're still loving the movie so much and you're still not feeling as if it's belittling you. And I just wonder both of these things. How is it that you don't feel slammed by this movie? And also, why did we love as children Carnival Sandy so much? What did that represent for us? Like, I I just wrote Speak for Yourself because I was not excited for her to turn (laughs) naughty. Like, I know that filled me with trepidation. It filled me with anxiety. Um, The pink ladies, the T-birds, they made me nervous. Um... I don't know. I just feel like I didn't want her to, um, I didn't believe it. I just never believed, um, that she could turn on a dime like that. I mean, that wasn't Sandy. That was, I mean, the big hair, the, um, pants, the hair, the cigarette, like I just, it didn't make me hate the movie. Don't get me wrong. That part just never rang true. Like I always felt like she changed herself, um, into someone who she wasn't truly um, oh my God, this comfortable is be with. Like she says, well, yeah, um, so she sits there right when now. she's like, 
She sits there and she um, says, you know, wholesome and pure, oh, so scared and unsure, a poor man, Sandra D. And then she says goodbye to Sandra D. She literally is saying, and I never felt like she wanted to say goodbye to Sandra D. I felt like, I felt like that, that whole, that 180 was just way too unbelievable for me. And I, I didn't like that. I am. I've got lots of feelings. Go, Carolyn, go. Well, me too, because I wrote down almost the exact opposite of everything you said. Me too. And again, I think the age that we saw this movie might have something to do Mm -hmm. with it. But I wrote, I hate to admit it, but this ending seemed very logical to me. This seemed like (laughs) what had to happen. It was the happy ending that we wanted and expected because it played right into this message that we had been fed that the only way to get the guy was to be the slutty girl. And we can simply we can look back to um, Saturday Night to Saturday Night Fever and our discussion Mm -hmm. about Annette and how she felt the only way she was going to get John Travolta was to sleep with him and to be the slutty girl. That message was conveyed again to us, and we we believed it. I mean, I believed it. I don't want to obviously speak for Michelle because she didn't, but I thought she wanted um, him so much. She wanted Danny so much that she was willing to turn on that dime. She was willing to go. I mean, I did it, you guys. I mean, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but sure. I wore a, the push-up bra in high school and wore a tight sweater over it. Now, granted, I'm, you know, at this time going 12, going on 13 when I'm seeing this movie. So these thoughts are are going through my head. And it's just, it's what I believed you had to do to get the guy, at, you know, and that's obviously what she was going to do to get to get him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to become... You know, it wasn't that she put on her card back, put on her cardigan sweater and matched him at the end of the movie. He took off his Letterman sweater and went back to being who he was. I am like exploding right now. I don't okay, even you know where explode. to go in this I conversation. I hope you were listening. I, have so much I know. To I say. still have. I'm going to yes. bite my tongue because mm-hmm. I have so much yeah. more personal experience <laughs> to share so that backs up my backs up my position. Mm-hmm. So I, um, and I think this is the case for a lot of people, was just her sheer beauty. When she came out, our jaws dropped. Everybody's jaws dropped, not just boys, girls' jaws dropped too. I, the way Sandy looked in, when she came out in those funky pants and the big hair, I'm pretty sure that was the model I emulated all through the rest (laughs) of my life. I am positive. It didn't come out for a long time. But by the time I got to high school, I was pushing some boundaries hard, really, really hard. And plus, new Sandy was, this is what it represented to me. She was going to have fun now. Now's when the fun's going to begin. Right? Yeah, but she didn't. I just didn't Wait, hold on, hold on. We loved the pink ladies. We loved the pink ladies. They were having fun. We weren't meant to like Patty Simcox. Did you like Patty Simcox? She I did like Patty fun. Simcox. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. We're well, going to get our listeners to chime in, too, after this episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. She was annoying, but I thought she was kind of funny, and she d- I wasn't like, ooh, Patty Simcox. But laughing I just at, always not laughing with. We're laughing at her. Maybe not, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what this all comes down to, because we have three very different things going on here, and what this all comes down to is authentic self. And we are all coming to this conversation with not just our, our authentic self right now, but our authentic selves as we were children watching it. And we all have different opinions of who Sandy's authentic self was. Uh-huh. So, Michelle, it sounds like one of your arguments is that this was not believable to you. I'm going to challenge you on that because it might not be believable to you because of the filter through which you saw it. Because for me... 
Tammy, I felt like Sandy was unleashed and she could 100%. Find the I'm not judging. Self. Right. I that's why I say to me. That's why I say yeah, to yeah. me. I would mm-hmm. never judge anybody else for their um for their feeling about this movie or for their feeling about Sandy. That's why I said to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think you bring mm-hmm. up a great point, Kristen. It's the filter through which we yeah. viewed mm-hmm. this movie because I um, don't think that she was unleashing her regular or, you know, her true self. I think she was submitting to becoming this thing that mm-hmm. she maybe necessarily wasn't to get the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, not that she wouldn't maybe have some fun doing it, but I actually never felt during the movie that she um, was stifled being being Sandy. Like I, I would probably say that was her true self in my opinion, but that she had to be willing to, you know, quiet that small voice and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to play into this one. If I'm going to have the friends not be made fun of, get the guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that too. I, that's more how I felt about it too. I just feel though, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to um, be part of this. um, Like, I don't want in this conversation to like, have to feel bad about my good Sandy and how I felt. Oh, no, um, no. But I just think that like when Rizzo said, um, she looks too pure to be pink, that spoke to me so much. Like I felt that because you guys moving as much as I did, I had so many times where being the new good girl um, was real, was a, like really hard. And it was like a real um, mark against me. And I just a couple of times fell in with whoever I could to be part of a group. Here's the thing. I just feel like as a good Sandy who always, always felt like she had to apologize for it and more than once considered just saying to hell with it and caving into peer pressure um, just to be naughty, do the things I honestly didn't want to do, whether that was smoke or drink or shoplift, cheat on tests, whatever, um, because that would be easier than just living with that good girl stigma. Um And I just could never believe that Carnival Sandy was who she truly was. Like, I saw so much of myself in Cardigan Sandy that even at age 9 and 10, I just didn't believe it. And you know what? Maybe she wasn't 100% Cardigan Sandy. Um, But Carnival Sandy was like a total 180. And I felt, I always just felt like there had to be somewhere in the middle that everybody could be happy. But it <laughs> is a what, movie. Yeah, that's what therapy is, <laughs> right? We want everybody to be happy. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, um, it can be both and. And um, but yeah, there, and it then again, it's, and. it's a movie. And there's an agency question that goes along here because it sounds like you have really strong feelings. Um, well, both of you actually have really strong feelings about why she did it. And uh, the question has to be asked: Was Sandy changing herself so that Danny would like her? That's, I think, what our prevailing wisdom was as adults. Or was she allowing herself to embrace a side of herself that gave her more agency over her own body? Was this the inner wild side that she embraced with Danny? I mean, why is she with Danny in the first place? And she can embrace this wild side in the summer, far away from home, where no one knew her, where there would be no repercussions. Her reputation would be intact. Because in the 1950s, your reputation was everything, and it was a binary choice. You could be a good girl or you were a slut. And I use that word on purpose. And this was a choice that men didn't have to make because there's no slut shaming of men. There are no male sluts. I mean, not in the 1950s. Boys, boys will be boys. Boys could sow their wild oats. But women were virgins and then they were wives. But there was no place for them to be, to explore their absolutely age-appropriate feelings. I see a hand go up. Well, I just... And I know we're being so good and like trying to bite our tongues and all of that. Um, one, I would argue, or 
I would say I don't think that she was um, slutty Carnival Sandy. I guess going into the new summer, perhaps, but not the former summer where we are introduced in the movie, the, mm-hmm. the beginning summer. And I would say there was just as much shame toward John Travolta's character, toward Danny being a good guy, that yeah, he had to true. pretend he mm-hmm. wasn't. So maybe, you know, we've got the slut for the, the girl and the upstanding guy, so he had to pretend to his friends, no, I wasn't that, um, all those things that she's singing about that he was, which I tend to believe that's who he was that summer. He was not himself. Um, I agree. And yeah, so, totally. Yeah. And so I think that it can almost go both ways. Like, in, I think we see that in the movie, that any time a guy was trying to be emotional or um, let his guard down a little, whew, they, they almost stopped themselves. You know, you can Absolutely. see, again, hey, John Travolta. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of funny. In hey, Saturday Night um, Fever, we talked about how his face, he can do so much with just that face. And you could see him go from this goody guy, you know, um, upstanding. So so excited kind of to Danny. see her. Right. In yes. Just his <laughs> facial goofy, yeah. mo- you know, mm-hmm. motions or facial expressions. Then we can see the transition right away. He didn't even have to yeah. say anything. So he went from authentic to artifice in a heartbeat. But because I so actually think you guys, yeah. I don't yeah. know that T-Bird Danny is his authentic self. The reason I say that is because I never bought mm-hmm. into the fact that Beach Danny was the same as T-Bird Danny, which now makes mm-hmm. me actually want to therapize him and ask some um, hard questions about his self-identity <laughs> and the level of honesty he had with himself mm-hmm. and his so-called friends, because right. who was he being true to? Let's go back to the very beginning on the beach. They're very sweet. She is 100% cardigan Sandy there. She is like, she thinks he's so sweet. She, she, in summer nights, you guys, she tells... Her friends, he held her hand. He was respectful to her. He was the good boy. He was, he held her hand. They didn't go make out under the dock with the, you know, the thrusting pelvis that you see them do in, um, up on the bleachers when the T-Birds are singing their version of Summer Nights. Um, and so I just see that like Danny's also in this sort of um, juxtaposition. He's also in this kind of identity crisis, right? And I just want to sit them down and say, let's have an honest talk, Danny and Sandy. <laughs> Could but we just, did, could um, we really talk this through? But I just wonder why, you know, slutty Sandy won. Like, why was Danny quick to let's take off Carnival the Letterman Sandy. sweater? Well, yeah. no, let's, oh, say, yeah, slutty, let's Sandy, say slutty so. Sandy. Let's do it. Because this is, if, let's be honest, if, if the, if the transformation went in the opposite direction, if she was a greaser girl and she turned into cardigan Sandy, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We only have conversations about women and how they turn slutty, right? Like we're, this is probably the first conversation about Danny that's ever been had. Nobody ever talks about Danny's transformation because he gets to do whatever he wants. We're the only people who are talking about him. If we were, if she turned into a good girl, there would be no controversy, but we just, Judge women based on their clothing. And let's not forget that in Summer Lovin', we assume that it's Danny who's lying, but we don't right. know that it's that it's him who is lying. And he never said we fucked under the dock. He says we made out under the dock. Uh-huh. Do we really think she didn't make out with him? I mean, let's be they're teenagers. They're teenagers. Do you I really was terrified think she to kiss a boy as a teenager? I didn't make out with anybody in high school. Well, that's perfectly normal. Let's just be sure to, that everyone knows. I that mean, I was scared. Normal. I was scared but you to know like, what kiss else a boy. Is normal? 
having sex. <laughs> right. Having sex Absolutely. is also perfectly normal. And I don't believe for a minute that she didn't make out with him under the dock. I don't know. It's just, I do. Well, I do. Because if I look at all her behavior then going into that slumber party and everything like that, I think that they probably held hands. They kissed. They were very sweet. I look at her behavior and how uncomfortable she was when everybody was talking about sex and everything. And it, and it makes me feel the total opposite. But, you know, it's, um, I'm just thinking about this, that song and it's as much as, um, what he doesn't say as to what he does say. Cause he talks about how she got crazy down in the sand and he's mm-hmm. always like, if you know what I mean, he never comes right out and says mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but he certainly alludes to it and, um, Yeah, it's just really interesting. And she's the one who's going to be shamed for it, not him. He's going to get, he's going to get, I just finished Pam and Tommy, you guys, so this is very relevant on my mind. (laughs) He's going to get points, whereas she's the one who's going to pay the price, right? 100%. If she admits to making out under the dock. And we know how... First of all, we know it's developmentally appropriate to have sexual urges and to have sex when you're a teenager. It's also very normal to not have sex when you're a teenager. But we know that I didn't it say is I didn't have sex complete. when I was a teenager. I just oh, said I didn't well. in high school. Oh <laughs> that but is I'm, not getting cut. Clarification. I am, I, yeah. I'm not cutting that at all. But we know how normal it is to have sex as a teenager, as evidenced by the vast numbers of our parents and grandparents who had preemies. Right. It's a lot of preemies. Oh, a lot of babies born at, you know, oh, it was eight oh, months oh, those and eight months Right? So many preemies. And I, I guarantee you, your grandma wasn't a slut. She wasn't a slut. She was just a randy teenager that but had But that's why I hate that word else. now. And I know that yeah. I know we're using mm-hmm. a word going. I know. And everybody listening, we're please. We're doing it we on were, purpose. They're yes. using that word. And I say there because I'm still uncomfortable using it. Yeah. They're using that word going back to when that word was used Correct. when this movie came out. Right. We also call her. I like. I love how you, you coined the term Carnival Sandy. That's what made me think of Cardigan Sandy because in my my whole life up to now, I've thought good Sandy, bad Sandy, good Sandy, bad Sandy. And it made me mm-hmm. think the other day, why, what was it that made me, I never once thought slutty Sandy. Like I never once thought, oh, she's slutty. I just mm-hmm. thought good Sandy, bad Sandy. And bad Sandy, I realized comes from just let's go all the way back to like the Westerns. <laughs> Settle in everybody. Um, no, uh, you know, you know, you've got the good guy and the bad guy, right? And the good guy's always in white or in light colors and the bad guy's always all dressed in black. So to me, I think bad Sandy is, um, is, is just, is representative of the, the clothes she's wearing really like the black. Right. And then, and then we extrapolate that to mm-hmm. mean when we ex- we look at the clothes that she's wearing and we extrapolate that to mean something about her behavior. When in actuality, it has nothing to do with whether right. or not she's going to go off and have a bunch of sex right. with Danny Right. Now. We don't know that it she's going to go. Exactly. No. We don't know that. But this is what society has told us to do. And I, you know, think about when at the drag race, when Frenchie, this is the goodbye to Sandra D part. And when Frenchie comes to her and says, I can help. Mm-hmm. And is she saying... I can help I can help you change so that Danny will like you or is Frenchie saying I see you and I can help you unleash the beast like I said before and this leads to that full, full circle mm-hmm. Mo- mm-hmm. moment of look at me I'm Sandra D that started with look at me I'm Sandra D and then ends with goodbye to Sandra D goodbye And she is notably, and I think Michelle and I are going to disagree about this, through my filter, 
she is notably relieved. She is, she's coming face to face with the fact that her good girl exterior is masking her real feelings about what she does under the dock with Danny. And it's sort of like she can just cast aside the 1950s and be like, fuck my reputation. I'm going to do what I feel. And I don't need to be this kind of person in order to maintain my reputation because your reputation is what determines your future in the 1950s. If you have, if you're a good girl, you're going to marry a nice boy and you're going to have a nice future. If you're a bad girl, you're not going to have a future. Yeah. Respectively, respectively, I feel like that spoken like someone who was never a true, like felt like they were that true good girl. Like the, the very, like, I have to play by the rules. I have mm-hmm. to not rock the boat, whether it be in my family, whether it be in, um, and, and then that just carries on to school. And you feel like you have to apologize. Did I have probably a lot of issues with, um, you know, being scared to kiss a boy and stuff like that? Absolutely. Again, that's for my therapist. But I just feel like Sandy, the goodbye to Sandra D is not realistic to me. Did I want to take more risks? Did I wish I could be a little bit more carnival Sandy? Sure, of course I did. But to completely say goodbye to that would have been so not not true to myself. Um, so that's why. So that's intensely, that is very intensely personal, but it may right. or may not have anything to do with Sandy. <laughs> and uh, same as well, what true, yours, but same but, as your opinion, mm-hmm. but same as your opinion yeah. may or may not have anything to do with Sandy. And, We're all just um, looking at this through our own lens. I mean, that's right. just, that's the thing. We can't say one of us and is right. And I'm one of us is chime in with my lens because again, when there are three of us, we all have different perspectives. I feel like I kind of fall in the middle with this. I agree with both of you, maybe a little bit more towards Michelle. I really don't know that I ever got that we were unleashing this hidden part of Sandy, but I'm really like um, liking thinking about that. But I want you guys to remember the timeline of how this happened, of when she decided to become or to change, because we are coming off of the dance where she is dr- drug off the dance floor and um, Danny dances with Cha-Cha. Cha-Cha. And she's like 40. She see- yeah, she is like 40. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a whole other discussion yeah. how old all of these people were. He's dancing with Cha-Cha. And Sandy watches that and sees that and sees how he's moving. And I think that was the moment she decided, I've, I've got to change. If he's going to be himself, whatever, that is who I have to be. I think that was the turning point of the movie. Um I don't think she was ever that person personally. Um, and yeah, so then she's going, she's, she wants to talk to him. That's why she's headed to the, um, to the race and he ends up having to drive. Um, Cha-Cha's there, you know, and she's the one who sets them <laughs> mm-hmm. off to go. And so that was when she's like, I want that guy. I want him. And then she sees Frenchie and she's ready to go all in. So that's my take mm-hmm. on it. Well, and, and that mm-hmm. is also, um, and I'm not saying that that isn't um, sex sex figures prominently here, but that could also be because we're as Puritans we're hypersexualized. We we see sex everywhere, and the truth is that Chacha was really grown up, as you said, Michelle. She's like 40, but for a teenager, like there was a vast difference amongst teenagers. There's a vast difference between the maturity in in 16 year old, 17 year old girls, mm-hmm. and Chacha is really grown up, and Sandy is. Um, She's very uh, na- naive. Imma- no, she's not immature. Mm-hmm. She's perfectly. Think, she's perfectly fine. I think she's she very is. naive. I think she's. Yeah. I think. She's but naive. I. I think yeah. she's naive. I think she's. Um, a lot of the stuff that she's experiencing is 
really eye-opening to her. I don't think she's ever really it been is. around people yeah. like this. And this is this well, is a whole in Australia. new world for her. Let's remember, she's not, yeah, she's not she's from, from the United Australia. States. And so Cha-Cha represents somebody who's very grown up. And there is a desire amongst some people that, like, God, I'm stuck in childhood and I really want to grow up. And she saw Cha-Cha as being able to do whatever she wanted. She could express herself in any way she wanted with no worry for the repercussions to her reputation. And in so doing, Danny is then unleashed. Danny is just and when we see them, we assume that there's something sexual, but the truth is he's really in his own head, right? They're not going off to have sex. They're just dancing, and they win the dance contest. That is the point, and they win the dance contest because they are so free, much to the chagrin of the administration of the school, because there should be no sexually provocative moves. But let's face it, that is free. That is free, and it is not safe. And Sandy plays it safe, and when she plays it safe, then Danny has to play it safe, and nobody's having any fun. <laughs> no one's having any fun. And so what she sees when Cha-Cha is able to let loose and be free is that they're having a shit ton of fun. And damn it, that's what I wanted too. Right. I just want to have fun. I just want to well, have a good time. And she wasn't having a whole lot of fun with Lorenzo Lamas. You know, they um, they true. certainly made that apparent. That like he true. was like, it's so mm-hmm. boring. And um, yeah, they do show that. Like, oh, these cardigan wearing guys are not that exciting to be around. Right. That is so true, though, that it's very clear that she is not having fun with Lorenzo Lamas. She's playing it safe. This is the safe thing to do mm-hmm. in the 50s in order to protect your reputation. And I'm sure her parents would have been like, this will this will seed your future. If you're a good girl, you're a be- you'll have a nice future. If you're a bad girl and you have fun, if you have too much fun, you won't have a future. And Rizzo's solo, I think it's one of the best songs on the soundtrack, and it gets overlooked. It kind of epitomizes this whole dilemma that we're talking about. Rizzo likes exploring her sexuality. She is unapologetic about it. She refuses to be told that she can't enjoy that, but she also knows there's a societal cost, a cost that Kaniki does not have to pay. Right. This is not on Kaneki. This is all on her, even though he offers to marry her when he thinks that she's pregnant. But that is his choice to offer to marry her. He's not going to be ostracized from the community. He's not going to be sent to a home for six months for unwed fathers. Right. So Rizzo's solo and Rizzo's solo. She says there are worse things I could do than go with a boy or two, even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good. I suppose it could be true. There are worse things I could do. Then she says, I could stay home every night. I could wait around for Mr. Wright. I could take cold showers every day, denying that she has these urges, whereas Kaneki doesn't Mm -hmm. have to deny his urges. He can sow his wild oats, but she has to deny her urges and throw my life away. This is the important part. And throw my life away on a dream that won't come true. She knows this is a myth. This whole thing about being a good girl and your reputation and what it means for a future is, is for your future is a myth. And then the end of the song is the crescendo and she just belts it out. She said, I don't steal and I don't lie, but I can feel and I can cry, which is a fact I bet you never knew. And the worst thing that I could do is cry in front of you, which is a message to her detractors that I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of letting mm-hmm. you know how your judgments mm-hmm. hurt me. I don't steal, and I don't lie, but I can feel, and I can cry, a fact I'll bet you never knew. But to cry in front of you 
It's such a beautiful song. It's such a good song, and it sums up the whole dilemma, and it really kind of talks more to our parents' generation than to us. Because like Mm -hmm. you said, Michelle, I think having the stink of the good girl on you in the 80s was something that you did not want. I Mm. certainly didn't want it, right? But in the 50s, I think it was reverse. Um, And in talking about it, we're kind of doing it right now to a certain degree because our conversation is really only about the women. We're trying to say that it's about changing your personality in order to win the affection of a boy, which is true. That's a bad message. Don't do that. That's a really bad message. But like I said before, if the transformation were in reverse and she went to a good girl, we wouldn't be having the conversation at all. Um, so the, the movie at the end sort of hints at this myth that Rizzo is referring to, that if you're a good girl, you'll have a good future. And if you're a bad girl, you'll have a bad future. When the principal is making the announcements over the loudspeaker on the last day of school, and she's acknowledging the seniors, and she says, who knows, we may have the next Eleanor Roosevelt in our midst, and the camera lingers on Rizzo, the bad girl, busting that myth. Wow. I, I Thank you. I never thought of that. I don't think I ever caught that. I mean, it's very subtle, but I think that that was their story of the 50s. I mean, I think maybe by that song, they're trying to change our our view mm-hmm. of Rizzo a mm-hmm. little bit because that song, the lyrics are so beautiful and it's so true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that I, I don't think that went over my head. I think I was thinking there's the good girls and then there's the, the bad girls that smoke and drink and have sex at nine years right. old. And I, that's so horrible yeah. that like, yeah. that no one's having that conversation with me or <laughs> that yeah, I that's was, a good you know, point. thinking Nobody that. had that conversation with me either. Well, it's, that leads me to what I was going to say. That conversation was had with me. So um, it wasn't the reputation that I was trying to avoid. It was my parents' wrath and the wrath of the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church. I mean, those were all bad behaviors Mm -hmm. that would, um, you know, my parents would think less of me and all of that, and I would get in trouble, whatever Mm -hmm. that looked like. So it was not a societal thing. It was this, you'd be punished. You, it was just bad that yeah. those, but that's where societal norms begin. So that was your preconceived notion. Well, sure. But I wasn't thinking about, um, you know, being the good girl, bad girl thing at that point. I was thinking mm-hmm. about, I would get in trouble. Like yeah. I wouldn't yep. smoke because I could get caught. I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> oh, yes, but that was um, me too. another yeah. thing I think we could talk about a little bit is if you remember the scene where they have sex, he pulls out a condom and it's broken, and Which he's I did pretty not much understand. like, yeah, I'm sure I didn't either. No idea. Um, I might have vaguely, but um, but he's pretty much like this isn't going to happen because this is broken. And That's she's right. the one who said, uh, like the heck with it." She's the one who then goes, you know, obviously pushes the envelope, pushes the right, and says, mm-hmm. "Well." Heck with it. We're going to go for it anyway. So that's another interesting mm-hmm. part. If we really thought about that, it's not like he forced himself on her and said, oh, yeah. it'll be okay. She took the initiative um, and was like, I guess she was willing to, to take the chance. And So she has the, the agency. Right. Whether that was a good decision or a bad decision. Correct. So. But it was her decision, yeah. which well, I she think has a re- she has a p- to do it. Well, and she has a responsibility in it as well, then, if she's if yeah. she right. knew going into the yeah. sexual encounter that this, you know, that, oh, we're not really being careful, um, you know, then... This is then, so funny, because speaking of the things that we didn't understand, I am just now, right now, 54 years old, putting together that scene with the 
skipped a period, broken typewriter, bun in the oven, Ferris wheel. It was a false alarm. I'm just connecting those dots right now. <laughs> and you've seen this how many times? <laughs> well, nine in the theater, but how many more right. at home, right? We go together. Okay, so let's talk about the end a little bit. Um, we can all agree. Well, I don't know, actually. I'll ask you. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I thought the ending was weird. When we have mm-hmm. this great carnival, it's like the best day of your life, and then they get in the fancy car, and then the car begins to fly. And I always just thought that was really strange. Like, the movie's pretty straightforward up to that point, and then it bec- there's this, like, fantasy element that's that is thrown in. And I remember thinking that, when it happened and they looked at each other with these surprised looks, it was so inauthentic and awkward. Even as a 10-year-old, I was like, I'm, this is weird. You guys were cool 60 seconds ago, and now you're just weird. I don't know. Did you guys feel the same about yeah, the I'm thinking, like that? Yeah, I'm thinking, right, wouldn't you be, they look at each other and they kind of go, <gasps> what? Like, yeah. oh, oh my the God, car's flying. I'm like, wouldn't you be more oh. freaked out? Wouldn't you be like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, like, you'd be like looking around, like, "Oh my God, get us down! We're gonna fall!" They, but they're so excited when they look at each other. They're like, ah. "They're like oh, children. They're like I children." I loved it. I oh, loved it. it. And lest, oh my let, God, that's so um, funny. Lest we forget, there are mm-hmm. a couple of scenes during the movie where we get these. Um, you know, we get Frankie Valley being the angel. Oh, um, good and point. Singing that. Oh, yeah. And when they're redoing the car. Um, and they do the dance, and Grease Lightning is really all oh, on true. actually the car that they sequence. end up in. It is. That's the yep. same car that they're driving yes, off in is. as well. Yes. And that car never, that was a fantasy car. That wasn't what they ended that up was creating. A, that was a, you're right. Okay, so there are some little little um, breadcrumbs dropped of fantasy. Nonetheless, th- I thought it was more awkward at the end. Oh, it was just happy. It was like, look, it was happy. They they're riding off happy. into the sunset. They're together. Yay. This ending, this gave birth to a fan theory that surfaced on the internet in 2013, and it resurfaces occasionally and circulates wildly. And that is that the weird flying car is actually Sandy rising into heaven because she drowned. Yes, she's Wait, dead. what? When? And <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. In the ocean? It, in and Australia? Yes, No, no, no. In the beginning, when... So, this is how the theory began. The theory began... Well, hold on. Let me finish the whole theory. Okay, so she drowned, right? And the entire movie is a fantasy sequence taking place during her coma. Oh, please. Ending with her death at the end of the movie when they rise into heaven in the flying car. So, this is how it began. So, it comes from Summer Lovin when he says, I saved her life. She nearly drowned. And the theory says that Danny didn't save her life. She died. And this is like her life flashing before her eyes with this added dose of wish fulfillment. Okay. There's no, a lot of holes no, in no, that. No, no, Are no, they no. like QAnon people too or something? This is not <laughs> working for me at all. How could you I mean? I don't even, where do you begin with how ridiculous that seems? I don't mm-hmm. know. Because he's in the car, too. So did he die, too, when they're rising? Right, is he just escorting her to heaven? Oh, yeah. That's, Maybe he's really drown? the teenager. Maybe they both drowned. He drowned well, the while theory try, is, trying the to theory save her. is that just, you know, because, of course, the theory is lock, stock, and barrel. It's like, you don't get to choose what your theory is. The theory is that she is dead. It is Sandy no. who is dead. Mm. 
yeah, I can't. I could almost buy that they're both dead. Right. Um, and they're having like one of those moments where they're looking down and, you know, this is what could have happened if we hadn't drowned. If we hadn't drowned under the dock, we should not have been making out under the dock. That was a mistake. That makes the whole movie, like if I believed that, yeah. I wouldn't like the movie as much. It would be like, it would be like such a... It's horrible. Like, popping the balloon. Like, wait, what? None of yes. that really happened? Like, right. I just watched this whole movie and none of that... Sort of like when you watch The Sixth Sense for the first time. Um, I feel yeah. like them <laughs> flying off in the car, though, while I definitely was like, this is weird. This is odd. I definitely went with it. I was like, it's the carnival. It's fun. I mean, my gosh, the scene right before that where they're singing We Go Together is just so happy. Fancy. You can't help but just feeling oh like... Oh, my God. This is the fun... I want to be part of that. This is so fun. Um, I wanted to learn Didn't all Didn't you think dances. your last day of school would be like that? Like you that? wanted it oh, to I'm be. I'm just assuming yeah. my last day of mm-hmm. high school would be that way. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I had the Amelia Bedelia in me was um, alive and well because I realized watching this that I thought forever, like, okay, they met on vacation. Because to me, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that really the beach was very near to where they lived maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so she was visiting and he was just living out his summer life. But in my mind, because who actually lives by a beach like that and has a life, like that's where you go on vacation. So I thought they both were on vacation. They met. All of a sudden, she's not moving to Australia, but she's like back at New Jersey or Oklahoma or wherever they live. And oh my gosh, she goes to the same high school where she is now living and going. Like I could not, it was so phenomenal to me that she was living there and the high school that she was going to happened to be the one that he was going to, but it wasn't anywhere near where they met That's on vacation. That's actually really helpful for me. Like if that were true, that would be very helpful for me. Cause one thing I have never been able to get over is that they have this fiery romance for the whole summer and she just neglected to tell him that she wasn't going back to Australia and he just neglected to tell her where he went to high school. Right. right. And that they showed, Did she didn't know where he went to school. I thought she says that like their plans changed and they didn't move back to Australia. I thought it was like maybe all summer he thought, yeah. So why didn't she tell him? I thought maybe after they left, she didn't know. She didn't. She didn't know until after they said goodbye. I don't know. Did she just think he was getting confused? No, but he lives there. Like, why wouldn't she just call him up and say, "Hey, guess what? We're not going back to Australia. We can still make out under the dock." Because he didn't give her his phone number because it was 1952. And but didn't he... she think there was potential that she'd meet him at the high school that's near the beach if she that's knew he right. lived there? If so I'm not my... going home, that means I have the – even if I don't have his phone number, if I'm not going home, I still have <laughs> the potential of making out under the dock with Danny. Even if she doesn't know where were... he goes to high school, I wonder if he goes to high school at this place where I'm going because I'm in the same exact place where I was this summer. <laughs> Oh, I feel like they, I thought they were both on, like, Caroline, I think that's what you just said. I thought they were both away from their homes. I thought they were both on vacation. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, and I think that goes, again, to maybe where, like, you've lived in California, Kristen, Mm -hmm. so you knew there could, well, you did too, maybe a Loma show, but there could be a beach right there. Like, you could, yeah. Okay, you could live your, a regular life by the beach. I, that did not, enter my head at all. The beach was a destination for a vacation. <laughs> Nobody had a regular life by the ocean. Nobody went to high school by the beach. That's, That's just where you crazy. went on vacation. Alone. Right. So they there were met no high on vacation. schools by the beach. Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's what happened. They met on vacation wherever on the beach in LA, and then they're going back to high school in 
Pensacola, New Jersey. And lo and behold, they're just at the same high school, which I thought was like, oh my gosh, what are the odds? But oh my God, now this I is know. so funny. Okay, are we good? Should I bring it on home? Yes, but I do want to say I still love it. Yeah, that's I what I was going to say, too. I was going <laughs> to okay, say that, Carolyn. Mm-hmm. I was going to say mm-hmm. that, listen, all the things that bothered me about it even age, at age nine and that still bother me about it today don't or never diminished its greatness and importance for me because I knew then and I know now it's just a movie. Like I was never going to take my life lessons from it. Um, no matter if I felt that Cardigan Sandy would never turn into Carnival Sandy so quickly and confidently, and it, that was so unbelievable to me, I still thought it was great. I never thought, oh, then I have to do that. I mean, I always knew that these were just, this was make-believe. I wasn't, you know, an idiot. I knew like, well, so it still was off like in a car at the end, right? Yeah, but it was still just so great. Like it never, it never diminished the importance that movie had on me and how much I loved it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of our childhood. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I love it too. And so, wacky theories and wacky endings aside, yeah, let's just bring it full circle. So, why was it that we kids were so thrilled? With Sandy's new look, except for Michelle. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we were not just, me. We were so excited for her. We didn't We didn't know what slut-shaming was, right? As children, we didn't know slut-shaming is a thing. We only saw this as a breaking out of her shell, and we thought she was authentically beautiful. We were celebrating her liberation. When I say we, maybe I should say I. I was celebrating <laughs> her liberation. And then we grow up, and society does a number on us and teaches us to judge women's sexual history based on their clothing. Ha, ha, ha. So... I'm going to give everyone permission, no matter where you stand on Carnival Sandy and Cardigan Sandy, I'm going to give everyone permission to sort of, just like Michelle said, we're just going to lay down the worry about the messages in Greece because this movie isn't going anywhere. It only gets more popular. And someday we'll get the opportunity. I I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but someday we might share it with our grandchildren. I, I was mean, thinking that too. Right? So yes. really what we're seeing in Greece is a teenager trying on a different persona, which is really what adolescence is all about. We're not sure who we are. There's a lot of experimenting that goes along that with that. And we should all be given the freedom to experiment in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. If you are a smoker and you want to wear a cardigan, you should definitely try that. <laughs> Right? You should be allowed to do that. And you should even be allowed to be sexual. Safely and with agency yes, safely, consent. Yes. Don't yes. hurt anybody or yourself. Don't hurt anybody. But you go, Carnival Sandy. We are proud of you. And just like Frankie Valley says, we take the pressure and we throw away. Conventionality belongs to yesterday. There is a chance that we can make it so far if we start believing now that we can be who we are. Greece is the word. Thanks for listening today, and we look forward to being with you again next week. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast. To Cardigan Sandy. To Carnival Sandy. To Olivia Newton-John. We love you. Cheers. Cheers. My heart is saying, don't let go. Hold on to the end. That's what I intend to do. I'm hopelessly devoted. The 
the information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Love it, it will keep moving on.